Our Old Testament lesson this morning is taken from the book of 2 Chronicles. I'll be reading chapter 7, verses 11 through 18. 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 18. The temple has been built. It has just been dedicated, and now the final expressions are being made. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. This is the word of the Lord. I have heard how Christians long ago were brought before a tyrant's throne. They were told that he would spare their lives if they would renounce the name of Christ. But one by one they chose to die the Son of God they would not deny like a great angelic choir sings I can almost hear their voices ring I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am, I will seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Now the year have come and the years have gone and the cause of Jesus still goes on now our time has come 
count the cost to reject this world to embrace the cross and one by one let us live our lives for the one who died to give us life till the trumpet sounds on that final day let us proudly stand and boldly say I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength with all I am I will seek to honor His command I pledge I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am. I will seek to honor Him. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. With all my strength, with all I am, I will seek to honor His command. I of things I want to share before I launch into this uh, sermon that I have. This sermon has a couple of different levels to it. You're going to get the first one very easily, but there also is a, a component that speaks to where we are as a, a church and where we are as a church in relationship not only to our community, but to the Presbyterian church. So I'm going to see if you can figure that all out. Uh, if not, I will have try something else down the road. In my house last night, I was, somebody asked me, well, Randy, have you made a dessert to do in the dessert competition today at the potluck? And I said, no. I said, we had uh, three of my family, my son's church is having a, uh, a chili cook-off. And so my son was making his world-famous 30-ingredient chili and my grandson, who is not quite nine yet, made a buffalo chili all by himself. 
And then my daughter-in-law, well, she didn't really make real chili. It was uh, vegetarian chili. But, you know, I, I told her it smelled good, and it did. But that was about as close as I could get to it. Um, so I didn't get a chance to do any cooking or baking or any of that. So hopefully next year, if I'm still around and you're still here, we'll, I'll challenge all of you to that. But I, I couldn't make it happen. Well, I want to talk about America. There has been an, a concerted effort to take anything that is Christian, faith-based, out of education and out of where our, um, where our nation is. And so I want to share with you some facts that I found and people that I've talked with and want to just share some ideas with you. Well, you know, you can avoid the flu and you can outrun the past. You can ignore, ignore your in-laws. You can outsmart your adversaries. You can deny your imperfections. But the one thing you can't get around is change. Change will happen whether you're ready or not. Change is going to happen whether you like it or not. One thing that is very obvious to everyone on this Sunday after the 4th of July is that America is changing. Things aren't the way they used to be. Just look at our politics of our day. It doesn't look the way it used to. Not only is technology driving our society, but truth and morality are being diffused at what I believe is an alarming rate of speed. Most of us are struggling to make sense out of life. Things are changing just too fast. I had somebody tell me that this last week. We fear the future and desperately hold on to the old way of life, thinking that some time, well, a decade ago, the Church of Jesus Christ fell asleep in its comfortable, predictable worship service where the ideals of uh, reason and observation governed and is now the church's awakening in a postmodern world open to spiritual experience that have nothing to do with logic, reason, or tradition. Into this world, we also find ourselves in a spiritual battle that praises anything spiritual that especially has nothing to do with Christianity. There's a second Christian persecution happening in our world. It's trying to wipe out any influence Christianity had had in our history. It's a revisionist kind of history. I, I agree with Rabbi Daniel Lupin when he says that we're really in a culture war. Ground zero of this war is two distinct separate moral visions for America. One is the Judeo-Christian morality, and the other is a modern anti-Christian, culturally tolerant morality and philosophy. Philosophy. Anyone on our side today, you can watch the media, and, and you're going, if you go to school at all, you're going to easily be led to believe that our founding fathers were concerned with freedom from religion 
rather than with religious freedom. And there's nothing more. It's just blatantly false. Christopher Columbus, in 1504, wrote this as his reason for setting forth to discover the new land. You won't hear it in church. You won't hear it in school, but I'm going to share it with you right now. Christopher Columbus said, I was led by the Holy Spirit to carry the message of the gospel to undiscovered lands. Led by the Holy Spirit. Pilgrims who came to Plymouth Rock on, on the Mayflower, uh, just as they landed, they joined together at what was, and created what was called the Mayflower Compact. That was in 1620. Most of you were around at that time. These are the words of the Mayfire Compact. In the name of God, amen. Having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together. In 1643, just 23 years later, as more and more people came to the shores, the Puritans formed the first confederation called the New England Confederation. It was the first written constitution in our land. And it began this way. Whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. You see, America was founded by men and women who acknowledge God's supreme rule over their lives. The Puritans, realizing that the uh, backslidden state of the Church of England, they set forth uh, for the stated purpose of showing a nation could prosper if citizens lived under the laws of God. As our nation began to take shape, uh, the commitment of its founders is clearly seen in, in our documents. They were drafted as each state organized itself. Now, not everyone who came to New England uh, were Christians. And many had other ideas as what should happen here. The battle for this land has always been contentious. Not every founding father was considered to be an evangelical Christian. But they did believe in a God and the Bible. George Washington's personal prayer book, he writes, O eternal and everlasting God, direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb and purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more in the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may be appointed, uh, I may in thy appointed time obtain the resurrection of the justified into eternal life. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind and let the world be filled with the knowledge of thy son, Jesus Christ. That was George Washington. Most people think he wasn't a Christian. I beg to differ. John Quincy Adams, who would become the sixth president, uh, said late in 1821 about the Declaration of Independence. From the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
which they all acknowledged as the root of their conduct, we all came together to obey the word of God. Even Thomas Jefferson, in an address to the Danbury Baptists, said this. The First Amendment was created as a wall of separation between church and state, but that wall is one directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. By the way, uh, Jefferson wrote in the front of his Bible these words. I'm a Christian, that is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. I have little doubt that our whole country will soon be rallied to the unity of our creator, and I hope the pure doctrine of Jesus also. Benjamin Franklin, not a Christian, but open to it. He was speaking at the, he was attending at the first uh, Continental Congress and they were discussing and arguing and debating and well, you know how they did. They were debating the doc, uh, Declaration of Independence, how it was going to be written. And finally, uh, Benjamin Franklin stood and said, gentlemen, if it is true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us therefore determine to seek his face. And at that suggestion, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence all went to their knees as one man and began to pray and seek the wisdom of God. Out of 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 53 were professing Christians. Wouldn't it be wonderful today if our Congress would get on their knees and pray? Well, if that happened, we would know the second coming of Jesus was right upon us. <laughs> but let's think a, a moment uh, of the role of the Christian church and its, what its pastors played in America's early days. A preacher named Francis Bellamy wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. Another preacher, Samuel Smith, wrote the hymn, My Country, Tis of Thee. John Leland, another preacher, wrote the introduction of the First Amendment to the Constitution. Prior to the war between the states, 90% of all America's college presidents were preachers of the gospel. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, Dartmouth, William and Mary, and Columbia were founded by Christian preachers and churches with the express intent to educate youth for Christ. Boy, have they changed a lot now. In the 1730s and the 1740s, there was a major revival that swept over the colonies. This is just before the uh, Revolutionary War. All of the leaders of America were young, young people that were raised in the time of the, the, the Great Awakening. It had a lasting impact on uh, the life of the New World. 1734, uh, I was reading that spiritual lightning began to strike New England. It began in Northampton, Massachusetts, the home of Jonathan Edwards, the most respected theologian in America. One of the strong points of the Great Awakening was its emphasis on action. To believe in Jesus Christ means not 
merely to discuss theology, but make a life-changing decision and then acting on it. Jonathan Edwards, praise David Brainerd, a Presbyterian missionary working in America, who taught the true Christian is one who spends his or her life acting in the service for the common good. Brainerd was in open awe of the power of God that fell on village after village as he preached. American Indians would, would change uh, so dramatically that skeptical uh, colonists would come to the meetings to mock what was happening, only to be converted themselves. God was moving across our nation through the Great Awakening. Great Awakening was uh, the culture that America was founded in. Its leaders were caught up in what God was doing and the liberty and the freedom that were set for America happened because of the Great Awakening. Patrick Henry, you know, the Christian patriot, best known for his speech, give me liberty or give me death. He recognized the tremendous contribution Christianity made to the founding of our country. This is what he said. I cannot be, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not by religions, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. The Reverend John Witherspoon, the only clergyman who signed the Declaration of Independence, he was at the time at the president of uh, that Presbyterian uh, college, Princeton. He uh, helped shape the making of many of the men who shaped our nation. As a Presbyterian pastor, uh, he worked with, and especially James Madison, who was mentored by Witherspoon. Madison was preparing for the ministry, and with Witherspoon's help and direction, he helped guided Madison to choose government. But his theological training never left him. It was the psalm-singing Presbyterians like Reverend James Caldwell who helped win some of the battles. When paper was for musket wads was unable to be found, good old Isaac Watts's hymn book was used instead. They tore out the pages. I know it's sacrilege, but that's what they used for musket wad. King George referred to the War of Independence as the Presbyterian Rebellion. The Anglicans were never fans of rebellious Presbyterians. Hmm. A prime minister of England, Horace Walpole, said in Parliament one day that Cousin America has run off with a Presbyterian parson. The Rebellion of 1776 uh, so far as it was affected by religion, was a Presbyterian measure. So intense, universal, and aggressive were the Presbyterians in their zeal for liberty. Historians note that when Cornwallis was driven back to the ultimate defeat and surrender at Yorktown, all of the colonels in the colonial army, but one, were Presbyterian elders. More than one half of all of the soldiers and officers of the American army during the revolution 
with Presbyterians. No wonder we like to argue about everything. It's in our DNA. One German missionary soldier wrote home, call this war by whatever name you may, it's nothing more or less than a Scots-Irish Presbyterian rebellion. See, the British troops knew what was going on and the role of the Presbyterians in the war. And they turned the Presbyterian church buildings into stables. Or sometimes they just chose to burn them to the ground. We live in a nation that was founded on moral principles. And today we see them being eroded everywhere. Persecution is slowly, slowly growing and will continue to grow until Christianity is no longer has any influence in America. But it doesn't have to be this way. We've read already today a scripture. Second Chronicles 7.14. I want to share it with you one more time. If my people who are called by my name will humble this, themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. This is true for America. This is true for the Presbyterian Church USA. And it's true for us in this church in Lakeside as well. Our founding fathers made a bold declaration. But we too made a bold declaration. You know, if you call yourself a Christian, you made that bold declaration to say, I love Jesus. You may remember the day when you stood before the body of Christ when you came forward and confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you stood before the body of Christ proclaiming your desire to be Christian, courageously announcing that nothing but absolute independence from the shackles of sin and the way of this world will be acceptable to you. Do you remember when you repented of your sins and were buried with Christ in the waters of baptism and were raised then again to new life, doing that you are making a bold declaration. You were at the time pledging your allegiance, your devotion, your loyalty, your dedication, your very life to the Lamb of God who was Jesus Christ. At that time you were proclaiming that what Paul proclaimed in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. This is a bold declaration that you'll no longer live for yourself. That you'll no longer seek your will for your life and you will no longer live for the things of this world. This declaration is a bold and powerful as the one that Joshua made. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of uh, your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the God of your forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
When you come to Christ, you're making a very bold declaration. And like the patriots of our country, we're going to have to pay a high price. It's one thing to make a bold declaration in the comfort of our own church building, but it's quite another to, to live up to it. We who are in the Lord's army find just like the patriots found that our war is hard to win. This war is hard to win because not everyone is committed to the war effort. Not everyone who claimed the Lord Jesus Christ has lived up to their daily lives. Another reason this war is hard is because others are like the one-third of the colonists that were unconcerned about the outcome of the war. Whoever wins was fine with them. They were uninvolved. They would not join in. They would leave the comfort and safety. They simply watched and critiqued from the sidelines. You know what? We're still doing this in the church today. Not only is there a great price to pay for uh, fulfilling our declaration that Jesus is Lord, but there's a great reward in standing up for Jesus. We consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We'll receive freedom from sin and death and condemnation. And these are no small things. The declaration is bold. Jesus is my Lord. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb of God. The price is high. You have to die to self. But the reward, it's great. New life in Jesus Christ and a home with God in heaven. Will you join me as we pray? Father, we pray for our land, our nation. We pray that, that you would bring a, a second great awakening in our midst. That people would experience your presence and love. That your power would fall like lightning across America. And turn this nation to you. We pray for our denomination, the same thing. And Lord, we pray for ourselves that you would pour out your spirit on us. For we've made a bold declaration, even if we haven't lived up to it. When we said that we were going to follow you and let you be the Lord and Savior of our lives. Now lead us. Guide us and help us to be faithful to your word and to your holy book, the Bible, and to one another, that we pledge our devotion to each other and our love to each other. Thank you that it's easy to do that in this church. So lead us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.